for me, like I've never created a community with any intention of trying to get something out of it. <laughs> I've always created communities as a means to to give back or to create a platform for people to contribute. Very much about embracing failure and sharing about failures. And I think that that's really important because it gives people a sense of reality instead of looking at everything being so edited and, and perfect all the time. Hello, you're listening to the Leaders of Learning podcast, the podcast that explores learning in the 21st century with educators, leaders, and entrepreneurs from around the world. I'm your host, Ling Ling. I'm also the founder and director of Spark Learning Solutions. We help to build thriving organizational cultures and create effective intercultural collaboration through education, coaching, and consulting. Communities are everywhere. With the support of technology and globalization, it seems all too easy to join or start a community. Communities play a powerful role in society. Through communities, members are able to discuss, reflect, synthesize, learn, and contribute to the knowledge and experiences of the community. However, participating in a community can take a lot of time and effort. While communities may start with good intention, some evolve and some become silent. While communities may start with good intention, some communities evolve while others become silent. What does it take to start and keep a community going? How can communities help one's learning? Joining us is Gina Romero, a serial entrepreneur as well as CEO and co-founder of Connected Women. Gina is a community builder who harnesses technology to drive the success of women entrepreneurs. Working with corporate partners, local organizations, and government agencies, Gina creates initiatives that strengthen the regional startup and SME ecosystem. She is on a mission to enable more female entrepreneurs in Asia Pacific to start up and grow successful, profitable, purposeful businesses, regardless of their geographic location, race, education, or financial standing. Welcome, Gina, to our podcast today. Hi, Ling. Thanks for inviting me. Really excited to be here. We've connected on Connected Women, hashtag Connected Women, and that's the community that you have co-founded. So can you please share with us how you got into Connected Women and what motivated you to start this? Yeah, so I've always been, or for the last 13 years, I've been part of women's communities. It started in the UK when I joined the Women's Network there. And I'd never really been part of any kind of community before. So I think as a sort of startup entrepreneur and someone who was very new to business at the time, just finding a community of women was something that really helped me find my feet in the business world. So that's kind of how I got involved in communities in general. And well, to be honest, a lot of the actual launching of communities was a bit accidental for me. I ended up doing it sort of like... Yeah, I didn't really think it through, especially Connected Women. And in some ways, it it was more of an evolution of the things that I was already doing as a member in the community. 
I remember reading somewhere that you started a community called Athena Women before it evolved into Connected Women. Was that part of the evolution or how, how did it came about? Exactly. So when I was in the UK and my husband and I were running like a really small business that started in our garage and moved into a small office, I was invited to join the Athena Network. So that's a, a community of women. It was founded in 2006 and it was really a platform for women to connect and, and sort of share best business practices and network with each other. So when I joined that community, I learned pretty much everything that I learned about business, I learned from that community in the early days. And it was such an incredible source of support for me that I just got more and more and more involved in the network to the point that I, w- I became part of the leadership team in the UK. Mm-hmm. And then when I moved to Singapore in 2010 with my husband, he moved there for his work. I kind of, I was looking for a community that was similar. I just wanted to join and there wasn't really anything. So along with a friend of mine who lived in our condo unit, we launched the Athena Network in Singapore. So I guess that was the point that I accidentally became a community leader. (laughs) Oh, that's what you meant by accident. It was just like a series of coincidences. Yeah, in a way. And And I think a lot of people that are sort of listening and thinking about maybe starting a community or, you know, they're looking at community building as a way to actually grow their audience. They're probably hesitant to do it, but then it's actually the passion for bringing people together that actually gets it all started more so than your passion for being a leader. I know in Singapore, especially because I check up, you know, the networking events fairly often because I have a desire to connect to a greater community, being a fairly new startup entrepreneur myself. And I understand how lonely it can be when you are startup entrepreneur and you want to connect with other people so you can share grievances and learn from each other and so on. So when I check up, events in Singapore, there are just so many communities that are blooming and blossoming and starting. It's just incredible to see. And I think from this, we can say that maybe other people feel the same too, that there is a sense of an importance of being part of a community. So why is it important for you to join a community and how does community help your members? Yeah. So I I really think that You're right, actually. There are so many communities out there and yet more keep popping up, right? And so it makes you wonder, like, I mean, people would often say to me in the beginning when I was launching the Athena Network in Singapore, oh, you know, like there's already a lot of women's networks in Singapore. But actually at the time, there wasn't really anything that did what the Athena Network did in Singapore. And so I think There's no such thing as too niche in terms of communities. Really, like the more specific you are about what community you're looking for or what community you're creating, I think the more value you can add. So like, for example, Athena Network really catered specifically to women who were at a certain stage of their business, that certain stage of their life. They had very similar challenges, very similar values. So it was really strange that being a member of the Athena Network in the UK and then joining or creating the Athena Network in Singapore, the communities were really very similar, even though it was a completely different mix of people and completely different cultures, different part of the world. So I think that, you know, these shared values and like very niche aspects of a community are what really makes it special and different to everything else that's out there. Mm, Okay. 
So you spoke a little bit about the challenges of trying to help your community members to learn in a sense that you run training events, but in the end, after two years, you found out that they haven't really improved in the way of using their tools. So apart from running training events, do you do anything else to help build the skills for your community members? Yeah, so um, Connected Women kind of like evolved again a little bit. So we came out initially to the Philippines because we had the idea that we could actually run training for women who wanted to work online. And then we could facilitate and create a platform where we could match them to women entrepreneurs specifically that are looking for certain skill sets in their business. So it kind of like evolved, the concept of Connected Women evolved more into a, like a job matching platform, but we still have the community side because we still want the members to meet and connect with each other organically. But in terms of like looking for online work and especially like the types of skills that we need for the future of work. So it's really a hot topic. I mean, we touch on the soft the much softer aspects. So not so much on the AI and, you know, like the machine learning types of things, but we look more at what are the skills that we can help women learn that are really in demand? And what are the skills, especially that women can do that helps create location independence for them? So it could be entrepreneurship, it could be freelancing, it could be remote work, but all of these require, you know, some technology skills. So we focus on, creating conversations around these sort of like soft skills for the future and how women can stay relevant in the workplace as a lot of automation comes in and also how to transition. So if you're in a physical corporate job and you really want to transition into online work, how do you transition and make that leap? And I think that's really like something that so many women want to know about right now. I think myself personally, because I come from this background where I know how hard it is to step up to do things that you're afraid to do, whether it's attending an event, whether it's public speaking, whether it's doing an interview like this, I, I have a lot of like empathy for people that, you know, don't have the confidence naturally. So for example, the meetups that we talked about, so we have this started in April. So I wanted to do everything online because I've been running physical events for 13 years now. So when I came back to the Philippines and, you know, the traffic and everything is so bad here, I was like, I'm not going to do anything offline. I'm just going to be fully online, <laughs> fully virtual. No one will ever see me <laughs> in real life. So anyway, we had this Facebook group and then, or we have a Facebook group here in the Philippines that is really growing very fast, probably because of similar reasons. You know, people are finding other ways to connect. That means that they don't have to physically go out through the difficult roads and, and travel situations. So anyway, we created the online magazine, the online Facebook group, and everything was quite happily happening online. And then one of the members in the Philippines group said, Is, does anyone want to meet up? Are we going to have meetups? Are there any events? And I was kind of like, no, nope, no events. Everything's online. <laughs> meet up here in the group. And they were like, oh, but you know, it'd be so nice to meet face to face. And, you know, and I thought about it and I said, look, it would be great if you have meetups, but you do it. <laughs> like you, you run your own meetups. So basically we said, if anyone wants to run a meetup, you know, we'll have a Google Hangout. We'll provide some basic guidelines, best practices about launching and running a meetup and we'll guide you and we'll help you. So we had seven meetups in April and then we decided to run them every six weeks. So they all happened on the same night. And actually it was seven meetups, including Singapore and the UK. And then the rest were here in the Philippines. And then seven meetups since April this year. Well, that was just in April. So then following on from there in June, we had 12 ladies run meetups. They all volunteer, you know, it's all like led by the community. 
and then we had mm-hmm. 17 and then we had 26 and then so this month which is the last meetup of the year we have mm-hmm. 32 meetups happening so it's Oh, wow. It grew from seven to 32. Congratulations. Wow. That's amazing. It has been amazing. And, you know, like, for example, the ladies in Pakistan somehow heard about what we were doing through Facebook and reached out to me and said, we'd love to have this in Pakistan. So I think we had like three, three meetups in Pakistan last, last round, Lahore, Karachi and Islamabad. Oh, wow. And they're really active. So it's really cool because, you know, despite my my intention to bring everything online, it just goes to show that people still want to meet face-to-face and building communities can't just be online. It has to be extended into like, you know, the offline space as well. I mean, the way you talked about how Connected Women expanded from, and you started in only in April, right? Yeah, yeah. It was a bit of a surprise, actually. I really didn't think that people would be that inclined to physically meeting up <laughs> as much. Yeah. Yeah, it started in April and now it's grown to such a global community where women are willing to meet up and help each other and it comes to technology and business and networking and so on. You make it sound like it's so easy to build a global community, but I'm sure there are challenges that you've gone through yourself and how do you overcome them? Can, can you share some of that with us? Yeah, so, <laughs> so one of the challenges, which is like one of these you know, what you call a high, high class problem, right? So the high class problem. <laughs> so we didn't have a real solid plan in place for the meetups because it was just a suggestion from one of the members, right? So, you know, we had our 2018 plan <laughs> that we were trying to follow, which was more focused on building the jobs platform and some training partnerships that we have. And so when the meetups happened, they just kind of like took over everything because we have so many ladies that are like messaging us now about, you know, can they launch one and how do they launch? And sometimes they want to do more than just have a meetup. They want to have conferences and events and bazaars. And, you know, there's so many ideas coming from the community that it really kind of like took over the last six months really. But, you know, so I think the challenge is sometimes it's one, it's the typical challenge, right? It's either there's not enough demand. So you struggle to kind of like get the meetup off the ground or you get struggle to get your community mm-hmm. off the ground. And I think in Singapore, it's challenging because it's small and there's like a lot of events somewhere like the Philippines where it's bigger and the less urban areas there is less happening. So of course people are attracted to this type of thing because they don't have anything like this in their towns. So yeah, it's really that kind of supply demand situation that all communities have. And especially if you're like a platform, like a marketplace or a matching platform, which is effectively what Connected Women is, then there's always the challenge of like attracting the, you know, like a good mix of people, keeping it very diverse, keeping it uniform as much as possible, you know, because it's still under the Connected Women brand, right? So the experience that someone has in one event represents what they think is the experience of all events. So I think that's what keeps me awake at night. It's like, if someone attends a meetup anywhere under the Connected Women brand, do they walk away with a good experience of the brand? Ah, okay. That makes sense. Because if it grows so quickly, everyone, like you say, everyone has a different interpretation of what Connected Women is and to keep it in a way standardized and consistent experience, even though it's global yet, you know, run locally. Yeah. We still haven't figured out how, but I think, <laughs> I think for me, like, so when I speak to these meetup organizers and, and, you know, as I was saying earlier, we have this like weekly hangout call where they can, we give them guidance and we answer questions about 
basic things like how, which type of venue, what type of setup, and even and things like sponsors would be good for us because they can get their own sponsors. But a lot of the time, like when I start the call and I say, or when I end the call, I will say at the end of the day, like if people feel that they turn up and they felt welcome and they've made an effort to come. And for some people, that effort is really huge. They've never even attended an event before sometimes, you know, or they, they've attended an event and they had a bad experience and it kind of like made them feel even more like disinclined to attend. Then it's the, the most important thing is that we let them feel that they belong, right? That they, they're welcome and that it's something that they feel like they're part of something. I find it so hard to explain because it's so simple, but at the end of the day, community is only about belonging, right? Finding a place where you feel that you're part of something. I think that's why people seek out communities. Uh, For me personally, I'm in starting my own community, a community of podcasters, because I find the journey of podcasting quite a lonely journey, as well as the journey of being an entrepreneur. Starting up a community is challenging on its own. I've also been part of different communities too. And I've seen some communities who have thrived like yours. And I've seen some communities who, you know, the initial passion and spark is there, but after a while, it kind of just like whittles off. So there's, there's all these different kinds of community Mm -hmm. that start up that thrives and communities that doesn't work out, you know, find it really difficult to start up. And what you've mentioned is, is just so, so basic about communities is how do you create a community where people feel like they belong? It's just as simple as that, make them feel welcome. You know, the thing is, is like, I've seen communities pop up and if it has a superficial intent, it will burn mm-hmm. out, right? Because the thing is, is like, for me, like I've never created a community with any intention of trying to get something out of it. <laughs> I've always created communities as a means to to give back or to create a platform for people to contribute. So I think when you have a contribution-focused community, of course it will keep thriving, right? Because people keep bringing something to the table all the time. And, and that's not to say that you can't get anything out of it. Of course, that the intention is that everybody gets value, but you turn up and you're intending to bring something to the table. Then of course the table never runs dry, right? But when the intention is really just, you know, when the people that create it set it for the intention of getting something out of it, that is purely just to create this community so that they can sell a product or create the community so that they can get sponsorship or whatever else. It's just not the right platform. It, it's not sustainable to do it like that. So I think that setting the intention for members early on as well about the purpose of the community is really important because you know, what's the point in turning up just because there's a good speaker this month and then next month they won't show up anymore because the topic is not that interesting. The other parts of what you bring to the community are really just there to add value, but the community itself and the relationships that you build within that community are really the glue that keeps it all together over time. And of course they still wane and thrive. Like no community is always strong. Like there will be times where, I mean, I've had times where my events have whittled down to like the last seven members, but when those people are sort of in like committed to the cause and the purpose of the community, then after time, it will build back up again. I think that's one of the other challenges too. So every time you figure out, I mean, like try to organize an event or a meetup for your community, how do you decide, you know, what kind of topics to 
talk about or what is the theme or which speakers to speak about? How, how do you choose? How do you structure all of that? Yeah, it's, it's not always easy to come up with ideas all the time. That makes sense. And of course, like community members themselves, we encourage them to get involved in sharing what they're interested in and what they want to learn about. And that changes a lot. Like the trends, the hot topics tend to really change a lot, like evolve. So right now, like the hot topics are for me, like in my community are things like automation and bots and, you know, like the, the basics of that stuff. Like, how do I know what tools to use? And it's normally linked to people feeling worried or, or anxious about changes that are happening that they don't understand. But then there's also like evergreen topics that even 13 years later, it's still topic of the day. Like, how do I grow my Facebook presence? You know, how do I grow my database? Where do I start if I want to create a business? Like some of these topics are just they never grow old. So I think you just have to listen to the trends, like the general trends, and also listen to the community as well. Because for example, for Connected Women Meetups, the leader of the group will often attract people that are kind of like interested in that angle. So even though our topic is generally using technology, entrepreneurship, so we call ourselves a, a community of tech-powered women. So not tech women, but tech-powered. So you know, it's entrepreneurship, freelancing, remote work. But because I'm an entrepreneur and I'm interested in entrepreneurial topics or more tech topics, I'll probably attract people that are more interested in those. Whereas some of our groups are much more freelancer heavy because, you know, the leadership of the group are like freelance writers, for example. So mm -hmm. I think it's okay to have a variation in the themes, especially if you have like multiple gatherings, but make sure that the purpose you know, the intention and the purpose of the community is still strong. It sounds like you try to balance between listening to what your community members want to learn and want to get from being part of the community and having to keep that community branding going. So the structure and the feel in place. So it's having a good balance between the two, because I'd imagine if you are so strong and, you know, just doing only certain topics that's based on the brand and not listening to the members, you'd find the membership might decrease. Whereas if you over listen to what your membership wants, then it kind of dilutes the branding of, of your community. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And it, it's, I mean, it's literally a matter of just talking to your members a lot and asking yeah. them like, did you enjoy it? Like what sort of topics would you like in the future? And there's a lot of expertise within the room, right? Like that's the thing. Like actually at the moment, since we launched in 2013 in Singapore, Connected Women doesn't have any core content or training. Mm. Like all of the content is provided by our members because there's so much expertise in the community or through partners. So where we have, for example, especially the technology partners, they're so essential for us because they bring the most up-to-date content about how to use their tools. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we always look for the sort of training content providers from within the community and then through tech partners that we can work with outside. I think that's really fantastic because for most communities or community events that I have joined, it's usually the community organizers that bring the content to its members. So it's kind of like a one-way feeding you information from the organizers to the members who are participating in the event. So for you, your concept is a bit different, is looking at your members, what expertise they have and having it being shown in the community to be shared with everyone else. Exactly. And I think one of the things that, you know, I've learned as well because of my own personal experience. I mean, when I first joined the Athena Network, my mentor 
who's really dear friend of mine now, was the one who encouraged me to speak. Because I had expertise in, in technology that the members didn't have, but I didn't have the expertise in public speaking. So I was afraid to get up and speak and share about my expertise because of my, you know, because of my fear of public speaking, because I didn't really feel that I was, I would be good at training. But, you know, I remember at that time she said, look, it's not about being the best speaker. It's about sharing what you know. And even if that helps like one or two people in the room, that will be really valuable. So I really took that kind of like philosophy into everything that I do. And like, we've had speakers at events where they've never spoken before. Because the challenge is if you've never spoken before, how will you ever get to the stage where you're like a confident speaker, right? <laughs> so it's really a catch-22. If you're like me and you kind of like fell into this sort of speaking circuit and then you can never get out again, <laughs> you just keep getting like invites, 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 which is great. But then what about the ones that have never actually had the opportunity? So we really try and encourage, you know, like for example, our meetup hosts, some of them have never run an event and they're like... I don't know how to do the opening speech. I'm like, just read the script. It's okay. I started out reading the script. I didn't know how to stand up and do a proper speech, but you build that confidence as you go along. So giving the opportunity for people to share their expertise and recognize that their expertise is maybe separate to their ability, you know, their confidence in speaking or their confidence in writing, but just to be supportive and give people a chance. Some of the best speakers that I've ever had were not, professional speakers. They speak from the heart and they really have deep expertise and passion for what they do. So they can still convey what they want to say, even though they might not be the most articulate speaker. In fact, one of the best, my favorite speakers that I've ever had at an event was an illustrator in Singapore. She was so nervous. She drew her entire speech on a stack of post-it notes. Um, oh, that is so cool. <laughs> yeah, but you know, it wasn't even for us. Like she'd done that for herself. Like she'd kind of like doodled on these post-it notes. And so as she was going through her speech, she was like dropping these amazing doodles. And she had her slides, you know, and she was super, super shy and very, very nervous, but she had amazing slides. And what she shared about creativity was really profound. I think it really impacted a lot of people and inspired them as well, because people saw that she had taken the courage to step up and share, even though she wasn't necessarily like a speaker. So <laughs> I think it's also kudos to the founders of the community to, to encourage their own members to speak up, even though they may be of varying degrees of comfort, confidence, skill level. And I also believe it's the community leaders that set the tone and the sense of safety for people to feel like, you know, they can share who they are, share their expertise. So if Connected Women has grown globally, I think kudos to you and your leadership team to create this kind of safe space for everyone to, to speak up and share. For me, a lot of it is about not taking yourself too seriously. And then, you know, and I think that trickles down as well. Like we're, we're kind of like a fun community. So it's okay to not be perfect. And I think, you know, a lot of the time it sounds so obvious, but people need to hear it, right? Like I do um, speaking engagements where I've completely told a story that I didn't intend to tell, or I've forgotten what I was saying in the middle of my speech and, you know, done all sorts of things that are completely imperfect. And yet, quite acceptable really for the most part. So if you're not afraid to fail and to tell your members that, um, you know, it's not always about the great successes, right? It's about the things that you kind of stumbled on, that you had to figure out, sharing things, like sharing stories about the fears that you had in the past that people don't realize that you had, that you were sat in the room 10 years ago 
feeling exactly the same way as them and you manage to actually overcome it. I think that's something that is changing anyway. I think that like the startup culture is very much about embracing failure and sharing about failures. And I think that that's really important because it gives people a sense of reality instead of looking at everything being so edited and, and perfect all the time. Yeah, I think people are more connected to real stories and than perfect stories because real stories show yourself who you truly are and your vulnerabilities. And I mean, everyone is human, right? Nothing is perfect. Yeah, and people are seeing through it now, right? Like, actually, I think in, in some ways it's really needed as well because on the other hand, you have like the social media culture where everybody takes like the most perfect picture of themselves right and so they always there's a lot of like um pushback now i think about the culture of showcasing a very superficial part of our life so one of my friends this is slightly off topic but sort of on topic <laughs> from singapore she she's a mom right she's a mom of two kids and she's an expert in organizational skills she wrote the book called unbusy entrepreneur and it's really all about like being you know, getting under control, being productive. And so in theory, you would expect her to have it all under control. So, and she posts like lovely pictures of her kids and she's like super organized and really like a super mom. But then at one point she was like, you know what? I'm sick of posting everything that's perfect about my life. I'm going to post pictures of like what my day is really like. So she posted like the mess in her room in the morning before she cleaned it all up and the pile (laughs) of laundry that was just like not piled because she was busy spending time with her kids. And I think Mm -hmm. it resonated with a lot of people that we have this pressure constantly to like show the most perfect version of ourselves. And when people let down the guard a little bit and say, you know, I'm struggling as well. Not that I'm saying that communities should be really about doom and gloom and misery and sharing the worst parts of our lives. But I think you can't just show, it's part of being authentic, isn't it? You can't just say, yeah. these are all the good things. This is my my amazing like magazine photo shoot where they, they photoshopped all the wrinkles out of my forehead and then, you know, and then avoid the camera for the rest of your life because people will see what you actually look like. Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think authenticity is a big draw for community. I think for me personally, like a lot of people say, I just love being part of something that feels real and that I can be myself. Yeah, I think that's the draw for your community too, because I enjoy attending your meetups in Singapore. So hopefully one day I have a chance to attend the meetups in other countries too, in the Philippines or Pakistan or even the UK. (laughs) That would be great. Yeah. You should totally come to the Philippines. There's a really thriving community here in general, like in the entrepreneurial community. And I think it's like people are very, very engaged. So I'm sure that they'll love your podcast. And I, I see the passion for learning is like very intense, like more than anything, people just want to learn and share experiences and and they do want that global experience. So I think, you know, if there's any organizations that have global meetups, I think the experience of traveling and visiting different versions of the same meetup or different versions of the same community in different parts of the world will be very illuminating because what I've realized from being part of global communities is that each community is different, but there's an essence of similarity that is really uncanny. Yeah, I've joined global communities too and I've attended their local meetups in different cities. So while the branding is the same, the structure of it is the same, but a lot of it is localized to what suits the local members there. 
I don't know how to explain yeah. it. So there's, it's like a balance between having the brand there to show that, okay, this is the global community that you're joining, but yet this is the local chapter. So let's have a look at what issues or what learnings or what's the trend locally. You know what tends to be one of the biggest trends that I notice is like how you eat and drink at a meetup varies a lot in different in different cultures so for example in singapore when i when i ran the very first athena network event and we had beautiful spread in the mandarin oriental hotel it was like an afternoon tea spread and yeah. it wasn't cheap because it's like a fancy event so it was like uh, it's a fancy hotel so it was kind of like a little bit high end and the members who attended was a mix of singaporeans and expats and we gave the feedback form out at the end of the event and the feedback on the event was pretty kind of like standard across both groups. But the funny thing was, was at the end, the last question was, did you find that the food was value for money? And pretty much all the Singaporeans said, no, it was expensive and not enough food. And pretty much all the expats were like, yes, I think it was amazing. So that was an experience of like Singaporean food culture. I was like, wow, why did they rate the food so low? But it wasn't that the food was bad. It was like the value for money. Because of course, things was amazing for food, right? So very spoiled. Yeah. <laughs> they have a huge range of food of different budgets and different kinds and cuisines. It, it's so diverse when it comes to food choices in Singapore. Yeah. And in the UK, it's like as long as there's alcohol. <laughs> yeah. Beer or wine or free flow hipster coffee. <laughs> exactly. Okay. So if anyone wants to start their own community and starting a community can be pretty challenging, what advice would you give to them if someone has an idea of starting their community? What should, you know, this person look out for and be prepared for? You know, people ask me this question a lot, you know, like, how do I start a community? And I mean, members of the community ask me this question and, you know, because lots of times they want to create like a spin-off of our group into like their own area of niche. And the thing is, is I think about the answer and there are so many ways that I can answer the question, but the most honest kind of like advice that I can give is start it small and then grow it slowly over time with a focus on adding value to the first few members. And I think that's the way to build it in a sustainable way. Like the best groups, the best communities that I've ever created are really the ones that I've nurtured (laughs) and really given my full attention to. And it's a service, right? Community building is a service and I see it as a service. And so if you come with that kind of like mindset of creating something to give back and to serve its purpose, something outside of yourself, outside of your business, you know, outside of your goals and, and sort of like KPIs and really create it for that very focused intention then it really does start to grow organically. I've tried many different ways. And to me, that's the only way that really works and sustains in the long term. Okay, fantastic tips for growing and starting your own community. And thank you so much for your time, Gina. Do you have any news you'd like to share with our listeners about what's going on in your world before we end today's conversation? Yeah. So if anyone wants to read some of the amazing articles about ladies in the community, then do check out the Connected Women online magazine. It's www.connectedwomen.co for community. 
Um, and there are so many amazing, inspiring stories there. And we really want to hear from all of you. So if you have stories that you want to share that you feel would inspire other women, then you know, reach out to me on LinkedIn or on Facebook and just let me know. All right. Thank you so much for your time, Gina. Thank you. That was Gina Romero, a serial entrepreneur as well as CEO and co-founder of Connected Women. Highlights from this episode and contact details of our guest is available on our website at www.culturespark.co slash podcasts. That is www.culturespark.co slash podcasts. In our final episode of season two for the Leaders of Learning podcast, we will speak to Andrea Edwards, a globally award-winning B2B communications professional. She is also a content marketing strategy pioneer, blogger, writer, and a trainer and coach. She also calls herself a digital conversationalist. Enjoy listening to this podcast. Take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play Music, or wherever you download your podcast. If you believe this podcast show will help a friend or family, please share this episode with them via social media or your podcast app. Thank you for listening to the Leaders of Learning podcast.